Afraq Nasser, welcome to Status. We are so glad to have you with us. Thank um, you. First of all, I would like you um, to give our listeners just uh, an idea about yourself, who you are, what you are doing, and um, let us know what you are up to at the moment. Sure. Um, so my name is Afraq Nasser. Uh, I'm from Yemen, and I'm based in Sweden since uh, mid-2011. Um, I've worked as a journalist uh, since late 2008, And I started to blog focusing on human rights issues since late 2010 with the start of uh, the Tunisian revolution. And ever since I got heavily involved uh, with the uprising in Yemen and the post-uprising uh, uh, transition, political transition. Uh, and even today, I still uh, do a lot of coverage uh, on the Yemen crisis. And uh, and because of my anti-regime writings in 2011 uh, against the rule of uh, Ali Abdullah Saleh, I got a lot of uh, hate uh, messages and death threats, uh, which uh, kind of led me in in such a circumstance where I, I was not able to go back uh, to Yemen when I came to Sweden to study. Yeah, and looking at Yemen from, um, you know, not exile, but from afar, it's really painful because the situation since I left never uh, got better. My whole family um, uh, or mo most of my family are in Yemen. Some of them are uh, today displaced in um, several countries. And I have one sister in uh, in Germany. And, uh, and I'm, I'm very excited for uh, this interview. Azim, we are excited to have you. Um, so have you been able to visit? Have you been able to go back to Yemen since you uh, went to Sweden for study? No, I I, I was a political refugee uh, in Sweden. Okay. Uh, and and then I was waiting just for, uh, you know, the, the best time to go back and visit. And right now, uh, I think I can't handle the heartbreak uh, if I go back and, and see uh, the devastation uh, of today. So I'm just hoping and waiting for just, uh, you know, a tiny glimpse of uh, improvement. Uh, and that means like just uh, to have any sort of peace process uh, going on in Yemen. Um, so no, most, most of my coverage are... Um, depending on uh, you know uh, talking to a lot of lot of people uh, uh, in inside Yemen, uh, whether from my friends or members of the civil society in Yemen, um, or even from you know social media uh, contacts that I made uh, along the way, and don't forget that my most family members are in Yemen. So I, I sometimes I know uh, I break news to my family inside Yemen before they tell me. Uh, for instance, when And the uh, uh, Saudi-led coalition uh, campaign started in late to the, in, in the beginning of 2015. Um, uh, the electricity uh, went off, and nobody knew why the, these bombs are falling into Yemen. And I was the one able to call them and let them know about what was uh, happening outside. So um, I think I'm more connected uh, to the situation in Yemen than you know being inside Yemen. And don't forget that today. 
the Houthi rebel groups uh, are like um, uh, ranked as the second most uh, abductor of journalists uh, by a report from Reporters Without Borders. Um, and there is a, a huge, like a really violent crackdown on any kind of independent journalism uh, or local, you know, local press in, in Yemen. So uh, in order to continue reporting, unfortunately, uh, you have to be outside. But And this is the thing. Um that must been really tough for you to deliver the news to your family and friends in Yemen before they even got the chance to. So how, how much pressure do you feel as a person in refuge, knowing that this today there's millions of people uh, from, from uh, the Arab world, from Syria, from Yemen, uh, from various countries who have fled their countries and they are living in refuge? Do you feel that your life is more difficult right now that you are a refuge or are you are you comfortable where you are yeah it's uh, it's very um, there is um, multi levels to uh, you know this kind of condition uh, one you're uh, you're a refugee you're displaced from your origin and second you're asked to integrate in the the new society uh, where you are uh, and third you're always reminded with you know the highly connected uh, you know uh, media platforms uh, uh, headlines are always reporting about what's going on uh, in your country um, uh, your, your family are always like sending you a message through you know the social media apps and so on and then also like the the you're always reminded of the conflict uh, from the network you you create and uh, uh, you know and your displacement uh, uh, I have a lot of friends from Iraq uh, Palestine Syria um, uh, and so on. So uh, a lot of of my friends are a product of you know being displaced from one conflict or another. Um, so um, it's a, it's very very um, tough situation from um, many levels. But at the same time, you get to have the, in a position where you are privileged, and that for me means uh, like just to be extremely frank, that means with having electricity and good internet connection and and running water. And and uh, not life. to worry about food uh, uh, on the table. Right. Uh, these stuff makes me feel really privileged and want to actually fight harder. So the more you're privileged, uh, the more responsibility you have. And I think that what keeps me going, uh, even though the situation is extremely dark and and I believe that we're going into a very painful uh, circle, you know, with the revolution circle. Uh, it's it's uh, If you look back to history, uh, this is very like, you know, common pattern uh, where you have counter-revolutions uh, or extremist groups uh, taking, you know, advantage of the uh, vacuum of power and so on. So I believe that we're going into this very painful, uh, uh, you know, transition. But at the same time, I try to have like a very uh, something called in I think sociology or uh, a, a psychology uh, something called tragic optimism right. uh, uh, which means that you you know you accept the reality but at the same time you have you have to have the courage to confront the challenges and to look forward for the future and I'm th- and I think with, with the current situation back home in Yemen you must have a lot of courage Sarahatan to just 
You spoke about basic necessities of life that you are happy to have those. And maybe um, a few years back, no, we didn't think in the region about those basic necessities that one day would come and it would become so hard to attain. And from here, we see in the news recently that there is millions of people in Yemen that are uh, subject to famine and starvation uh, because of the war on Yemen. Now, four days from now, it's International Women's Day. And um, it's it's a known fact that during wars, women are the first victims and the ones that suffer the most. And it has been two years since Saudi Arabia led a coalition and launched a war on Yemen. Can we talk about how this war has affected Yemeni society and what's the situation for the Yemeni women in the midst of all the destruction and injustice engulfing the country? Yeah, well, basically, Yemen today, in my opinion, it's the top humanitarian tragedy, even beyond Syria. Uh, when you look at the numbers, uh, the, the number of people who are food insecure, uh, the number of displaced people, uh, internal internally displaced people, uh, the number of people on the edge of famine, the, the number of, uh, you know, how many kids are killed every day, uh, um, all these numbers really show that Yemen, for a group of people, uh, which is like, you know, 80 or 83 percent of the population out of 25 million. So you have almost like 20 million people uh, being stuck or uh, seized in one spot in this world and suffering from all those stuff. So that makes Yemen, in my opinion, uh, as I told you, it's like the, the, the largest humanitarian tragedy even beyond Syria. But the, the problem is that Yemenis are in a very, very tough geographic location. Uh, they're surrounded by an, uh, several of absolute monarchies who are also uh, part of this Saudi-led coalition who are bombing them. And then, the, and then on the other side, uh, there are, uh, you know, the sea, or if they, even Yemeni have to flee and, and cross the sea. You have uh, Djibouti or Somalia, which are basically, uh, you know, failed states or, or suffering from, like, deep economic problems. True. Uh, so, so Yemenis have no way or no option but to say, and, you know, uh, die in silence. And because the situation was already bad before the war, right. um, uh, it's, it's, uh, uh, Yemenis are not able to, uh, you know, broadcast their suffering, to tweet it, to Facebook it. It's, it's un-Facebooked uh, uh, tragedy, untweeted tragedy, un-YouTube tragedy, when you compare it with other, you know, humanitarian tragedies, or even, uh, for that matter, natural disasters happening elsewhere. So what we know uh, about the, the, you know, the humanitarian crisis in Yemen, it's it's just like, in my opinion, just one percent of what's really going on in the country. In my own family, uh, if I give you just a concrete example, please do, yeah. You know, several like every day I call uh, my family. Uh, at least I hear. Uh, that my mom is attending two funerals per day. And, and uh, some of my family members have been 
you know, uh, going through really tough illness that could be easily, you know, found remedy for. Uh, but because of the lack of hospitals and, and equipments in hospitals and medicine, their health is, is going really worse and worse. Um, uh, my mom at the beginning of the war was forced to take half of her pills uh, because she didn't know if, if she will, you know, uh, be able to attain the medicine afterwards. Uh, some of my close friends uh, who used to work as a journalist, uh, because the newspaper uh, got shut down, he was forced to, um, uh, you know, to flee uh, uh, and continue writing on his Facebook and receiving the threats uh, for his, you know, being anti to the armed groups and, and, and different, uh, you know, uh, militias. Uh, he he was forced to flee from one city to another, and because he lacked, uh, you know, money and 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 shelter, he lives with one meal per day. And he always tries to me that I'm, I'm like just pray for me, Afra. Uh, so th- these just like you know just to ha- to have a human face for the statistics that we know about, and, and like it's a long list. Like I can't tell you how many of my friends and 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 and, and relatives who are displaced, whether in South or Ethiopia or, uh, you know, uh, who, I, I, for example, I know one guy who was, find a way to be uh, smuggled to Libya. And then I believe now he's crossing the sea to reach Europe. Um, so it's it's very, like, tragic situation. Uh, uh, I don't only read the reports. I, I don't need to read the reports to get you know, glimpse of the, uh, the the statistics or the like. It's it's happening personally, and and I believe that there is no one household in Yemen that's not affected by the situation. That's how the gravity of the situation. That's very interesting. It's very sad too, and and it's brutal. But also, it it gives a glimpse or a picture uh, to people who complain about. Uh, refugees and why refugees uh, are are fleeing to places like Europe or or, or America uh, and how Europe is trying to shut down uh, its borders in the face of refugees. What you said basically is just people are fleeing for their life. They are not uh, running to Europe in order to to, to achieve a certain dream or whatnot. They just want to survive. It's a survivalist uh, struggle, basically. What do you think will happen this year um, on, on March 8th? For International Women Day, do you think it will be commemorated as it was in 2011? Yeah, uh, it's great that you mentioned uh, uh, what happened in 2011 because I believe you, uh, Muhammad, remember um, being there yourself and uh, and seeing uh, the masses yeah. of women uh, protesting and uh, demanding really uh, to topple Ali Abdullah Saleh. It was like. It was like a, a very interesting moment where men uh, kind of uh, give a space for uh, female protesters to to occupy the, the square. Uh, and was... I remember myself being there and writing uh, one blog post uh, right after I, you know, I finished protesting. Uh, you know, I, I I I used to live like one block away from uh, uh, that square. Yeah, but today it's it's 
like completely different situation. Uh, you know, uh, when it comes to conflicts, uh, usually the most vulnerable segment of the society were, were going to endure that, you know, they will suffer the most. And that includes women, women and children. And Yemen is not, you know, strange uh, to this kind of pattern. Uh, but in my opinion, the problem is that uh, whenever there is peace talks uh, uh, going on, there have been several attempt, attempts to in, to to have peace talks between the different you know warring par- parties. But Yemenis never, uh, Yemeni women never were given a place, you know. And and the problem with any kind of negotiation or or decision making in inside, you know, the Yemeni society usually happens uh, off, you know, the the working times, Um, uh, and that usually happens during the Qat sessions after, you know, after lunch or, you know, in the after after mid noon, Uh, and usually it's closed because of the gender segregation. And women are, you know, in one place, and uh, there is no gender um, uh, mixed court uh, sessions. That's unacceptable in the Yemeni society. So most of the decision making happens, you know, at these, like behind these doors. So even if, you know, if I call the international community, the UN, to make sure uh, Yemeni women are given a uh, place when it comes to peace talks, uh, unfortunately, they will not be, you, you know all of the time during the decision-making process because um, I, I believe like half of it or most more than half of it will happen at these court sessions. Mm. Uh, so that's very like, it's extremely challenging for women uh, to show up when there is any kind of diplomatic uh, you know, table, and that minimizes the you know the the influence that women can have. But at the same time, uh, there are a lot of civil society initiatives going on uh, inside Yemen that are led by Yemeni women, uh, even on on my social media. And even now, in the middle of war. Yeah, yeah. Even today, uh, during you know uh, um, the the war, like most of the information that I get about the situation are communicated by by uh, women bloggers, women journalists. Uh, they're really good in communicating, you know, the the message. Uh, so politically wise, women are you know have zero place. Mm. But uh, but when when there is there are uh, civil society initiatives, uh, I. I I am very impressed with a very, you know, a bunch of Yemeni women who are really, you know, keeping us at least informed. So let's go back to 2011. There was a revolutionary moment then, and that protest, women took to the streets. And like you said, men were on the side. Basically, women occupied the major space. And it felt that there was a revolutionary change taking over the society, especially amongst young Yemeni uh, men and women. And it felt that this could actually develop into something bigger. And a lot of Yemeni friends were very optimistic about that social change that the revolution was bringing. So it feels that the forces of the counter-revolution, the surrounding countries to Yemen, did not want this revolutionary moment to live. And of course, Ali Abdullah Saleh played all his cards to kill the revolutionary spirit. And, and so what happened? Why that uh, Hirak or movement 
uh, failed and how come we got into uh, a massive war on Yemen at the moment? Yeah, yeah. I want just to point out uh, something about, you know, the, that mainly uh, women protest. I believe that women were really used uh, during the protest in the, you know, 2011 uprising as a decoration, just to show that all the segments of Yemen, the Yemeni society are against Ali Abdullah Saleh. And most, mostly the opposition political parties played this card very well. And they forced a lot of women to go out to the street uh, without Uh, you know, having their own clear, you know, uh, uh, quote-unquote feminist agenda. Right. Um, uh, it, it was mainly, you know, uh, pushed by the anti-Saleh uh, uh, political parties. So it was not as as if you know, uh, women were, uh, you know, independently going out to the street, uh, voicing their message by themselves. Right. Uh, but it was more of like, you know, a political maneuver, kind of. Uh, yeah, that would just clear that point. Um, yeah. Um, uh, what, what, why the revolution uh, failed? In my opinion, because uh, there was a change without justice. Uh, Ali Abdullah Saleh left power after a lot of negotiations, uh, but he never left politics. Right. Uh, there, there was never, uh, you know, uh, a, a transitional uh, justice process or system that makes sure that all parties involved in massive injustices uh, uh, during Ali Abdullah Saleh rule uh, should be taken accountable for, you know, the, the atrocities that happened, uh, whether during the, the, the uprising or even during Ali Abdullah Saleh rule. So uh, that made, made uh, you know, whatever transition, uh, political transition happened was extremely flawed. Um, when 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 there is a revolution, just just you know, it's it's common sense. When when people take the street uh, and want to topple, uh, let's let okay, I'm not going to call him a dictator, but you know, an unjust leader, okay. Right. Uh, and then you you a third party come in and give all the guarantees uh, and safety and security for this you know political leader and tell everyone to continue as if you know um uh, nothing happened uh, as if no revolution happened so that made really that complicated uh, the process um uh, for yemen's political uh, life in general and then there was uh, because of the survival politics for ali abdullah saleh which in my opinion a lot of of his people who were in his uh, under his clan uh, learned from him so everyone was trying to survive by turning tables against each other in in such a process there was a huge political turbulence um you know there was uh, armed fights uh, uh, a huge uh, you know crack on uh, protesters uh, a lot of political uh, tribal uh, leaders uh, joined the revolution even though they themselves uh, you know are not you know um, exempt from um, uh, injustices uh, so in such atmosphere uh, of course any kind of radical political action like the revolution definitely will fail um, yeah and Yemenis are taking the price uh, are paying the price today 
And it seems that they are paying the price as well in uh, misrepresentation too in the media, whether in the Arabic media or in the international uh, media. You recently wrote an op-ed in Huffington Post called Yemen War Between Internal and External Interests. And can you tell us a bit about this article, which I thought is really interesting when you started the article saying the war in Yemen is often described as a forgotten war. Can you talk about that? Why Why you said it's described as a forgotten war? Yeah, right. Uh, so I got uh, an assignment from a German newspaper to to give uh, some kind of explanation to the uh, geopolitics, regional geopolitics of, uh, you know, the war. And then I thought that was my moment to tell the newspaper and even the international audience, like, can we less focus about the the regional geopolitics and instead look at the domestic affairs? Uh, Maybe that will help us actually to, you know, to speed up uh, any kind of solution. Because in my opinion, there is a huge focus in uh, the Iraqi-Saudi proxy war, the Sunni-Shia. I'm not saying, I'm not dismissing that uh, that is part of the problem but the 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 tremendous emphasis on this uh, really neglects other uh, factors in, in uh, the Yemeni war. And in my opinion, because of the lack of pre- representation of native Yemeni, you know, uh, commentators or journalists or writers trying to explain this to the uh, mass media, uh, that you know, uh, continues that kind of narrative uh, that we we just want and, and uh, we just want to focus on the Saudi and the Iranis, which in in my opinion is a very very sexy kind of narrative. Uh, we always love to uh, you know to see such you know a dominant uh, powers uh, dominating powers in the region um, uh, with a long history of uh, you know hate relation to see them uh, to see what they're doing in other parts. Uh, it's it's it, it, if it's a soap opera, it's it can be a very successful mm. uh, soap opera. Right. But we're, you know we're talking about human beings. Exactly. We're, we're we're talking about people who are under the machine of the the coalition between uh, Ali Abdullah Saleh and the Houthis, who don't even even you know by the way have the you know uh, the same interest uh, of in this war. Uh, but they're they're for the sake of. The, the war, they're, they're creating this alliance and committing themselves a lot of war crimes uh, internally. And then you have, on the other hand, uh, the Saudis who are uh, creating this alliance uh, with uh, uh, President Abdurrahman Mansour Hadi, who, by the way, came with an agreement to stay on power just for uh, two years and leave. And today it's it's been like four years or five years uh, for him on power. So can we understand Understand about this kind of you know why why everyone uh, want to keep you know the checks and balances um, and where where are, are they committing war crimes and 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 what is the way forward and can we you know rearrange any kind of roadmap that was already there to come out. Uh, to you know, to create an exit for the situation. So these stuff, the, uh, that assignment really made me think of uh, the importance of talking about 
what's going on inside uh, Yemen before what's going on outside. So we've seen this in Syria as well, where Syria was represented through the lens of geopolitics and geopolitical interests of the countries that are involved. And the same thing, like you said now, is in Yemen. Uh, and it's disregarding, this narrative is disregarding the true human cost and human suffering of Yemenis. I want to ask you about uh, the the Saudi-led coalition um, uh, and the war on Yemen, we we often see in the news, um, and again, you don't see this much in Arabic news, you see it in international news, that um, the factions that are supported by uh, countries of that coalition, like the Saudis and the Emiratis, have supported local factions on the ground. They clash with each other here and there, and it feels that the coalition itself is infighting inside Yemen. Do you think that the the war on Yemen is going to end soon? And do you think that it now like, mutated into something mm. completely different from what started um, more than two years ago? You have to understand that the, the Saudis and the Emiratis, uh, which are like leading member in the coalition, have, uh, in my opinion, zero experience in um, in army, you know, army fights. Yeah. Um, and that, uh, by default, means that they will have major failures in whatever military tar- targeting uh, uh, system they have, or uh, the way they fuel, uh, um, you know, allied uh, groups with weapons and so on. So they have committed a lot of failures uh, since the start of the war. From the beginning of the war, they were like. Uh, literally throwing weapons to groups that they believe that they were allies uh, to them. But these weapons were like in the hand of Salafist groups. Who were were, um, allying with the Houthis against this, you know, foreign enemy that is, you know, the Saudis and the Saudi-led coalition. Um, So uh, uh, there are a lot of uh, reports about uh, that these weapons have been caught by the wrong, you know, the wrong target. And, and even till today, the Emiratis have different agenda in the war than what the Saudis want. For example, there is uh, within the war, there is a war within uh, that's led by the Emiratis against the Muslim Brotherhood in Yemen. Uh, there have uh, several assassination to uh, leading uh, members in the, uh, the political uh, Islam. Party, uh, and most of them actually fled because of this kind of atmosphere. So, if there is something that the Houthis and the Emiratis, for example, will agree on, is uh, to uh, to eliminate any power for uh, the the Islah in inside Yemen. Um, um, a great example could be like for a lot of people to understand. Uh, this is Tawakkul uh, Karaman, the Nobel Peace Prize yes. laureate from. The, the, the Yemeni journalist, uh, she she belongs to, uh, she's aff- affiliated to the political Islah uh, uh, party. And and she fled the country. She, she was not allowed to stay in Yemen uh, because the Houthis were literally uh, storming into her office and house and uh, stealing uh, actually some of her properties. 
the, the Saudis and the, the Emiratis, they don't have necessarily the same agenda with the war. And I don't know how this will, you know, will manifest itself if peace is established tomorrow, uh, because that will also like really um, complicate the post-war uh, phase for Yemen. I mean, my God, I'm, I'm horrified by this image and what you just said, you know, about the infighting and so on makes one think that the war in Yemen is not going to end anytime soon because it seems that the Saudis want to achieve any uh, any any certain uh, victory or achievement in order for them to leave Yemen um, with a positive image about their war. But they can't. They haven't been able to achieve anything on the ground concretely that will allow them to use as a victory and withdraw from the war. Um, everyone, uh, everyone thinks that that they can achieve uh, some sort of success militarily. Uh, even the the Americans. Uh, the uh, if you followed the news this past month, there have been two raids in Yemen. Uh, one uh, last month, uh, almost one month ago, there was one raid uh, to a remote uh, village uh, in south of Yemen in Baida, where commandos uh, had a raid to. You know, they fell from the sky, basically, and uh, killed uh, several, uh, you know, civilian, including women and children, in the name of fighting Al-Qaeda. And even two days ago, uh, there was another uh, raid. It's not clear yet if it was just by uh, more than 20 drone strikes, uh, uh, you know, within, you know, a few hours, or it was drones and uh, commandos uh, raiding one of the villages. And and the, for the Americans, they believe that, you know, uh, for their national security interests, it's very important to counter terror- terrorism uh, in Yemen, despite that Yemen is, you know, undergoing a famine and war. And everyone believes that their weapons and violence will really save Yemen uh, and save everyone. Uh, so the Saudis are getting right uh, wrong. The Emiratis are go- uh, getting wrong and even the Americans and and in in simple words Yemen is under fire from so many levels from so many fronts uh, it's unbelievable I'm glad you brought out the weapons uh, factor in this equation and here there is a, a huge responsibility that is being downplayed for the countries who are dumping weapons uh, on on the region who are selling huge amounts of weapons uh, and cluster munition to Saudi Arabia uh, namely the UK and America, uh, and they don't seem to be concerned by the war crimes that have been committed by Saudi Arabia, by the coalition, with these weapons that are being bought in mass from these manufacturing countries from Europe, UK, America. Do you think that Yemen, the war in Yemen, is also an economical incentive for the weapon manufacturing countries to, to just basically bank on this disaster and make as much money as possible in times of poor economical situations, namely in England after Brexit. Yeah, Yemen is a great illustration of how the global capitalist uh, system will trim any kind of human rights, you know, global human rights system. And that means, you know, these countries, uh, several countries from the European Union, led by the UK and, uh, you know, the Americans as well, um, they have a great history of, of respecting human rights when it comes to in, in their country. Right. Uh, but at the same time today, 
despite all the reports that their weapon uh, is used in war crimes in Yemen, they continue uh, to be an ally to Saudi Arabia and the Saudi-led coalition members, other members, which means that uh, there is a huge double standard uh, standards from these governments. Um, I, I would name the U.S. and uh, United Kingdom um, uh, specifically because uh, uh, their their biggest supplier uh, is Saudi Arabia. Uh, and we're talking about billion of dollars per year that Saudi Arabia paid to the U.S., for example, uh, buying um, different weaponry uh, types. So there is a huge double standard just because an ally or a customer of us, uh, you know, is giving or, or is buying our products, uh, we will, you know, we will not care or neglect uh, whatever wrongdoings they are doing. So in my opinion, this is very typical of that to exploit vulnerable groups um, such as, uh, you know, the poorest Arab country uh, in Yemen. And, and I think it's, it's very understandable if, uh, just to be, you know, the devil, the devil advocate here. There is so much interest for these countries, for the war in Yemen to continue, whether for, you know, the, the money that they get when the Saudis uh, uh, want to buy more weapons, or even uh, the economic relation that they have uh, for a long time, that should not be affected by the war. So I'm 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 not sure, but I don't have like a certain report about this. But um, um, I read somewhere that there is a great segment of uh, uh, you know um, British people working in the oil industry in Saudi. And so if there is any kind of harm to uh, the Saudi-British relations, uh, that will affect, uh, you know, the labor, the British labor uh, working in, uh, in Saudi. So basically, just because Yemen is poor and have no uh, no relations, uh, economic relations with Western uh, uh, powers, uh, nobody will will stand uh, next to Yemen. But the only like thing that makes me, uh, you know, want to advocate for the global uh, or the international community to look at Yemen as a place where they have an interest, actually is to understand that Yemen is vital to the global economic system. Uh, you have uh, Bab al-Mandab, which is, you know, uh, like a major hub for uh, uh, the economic trades around the world that passes from, you know, the, sea, the Red Sea uh, in Yemen. Any kind of instability uh, or, uh, you know, famine or or terrorism or whatever it is in, in Yemen, uh, that will threaten the, the global economic security. Um, so that's what I wish uh, these major uh, Western powers to understand and think that, yes, they have an interest with the Saudis, but they also have an interest with the Yemenis. Of course they do, first and foremost, because Yemenis are human beings. What I understood from you is the, the fault of Yemen that it's poor, and therefore it has been used uh, and abused by its neighbors and by the Americans, let's say, and by rich countries who tried their new gadgets and new weapons, um, namely drones, exercised and tried in Yemen for, for a long time, uh, killing many civilian people, 
Um, and now this technology is, is highly lucrative. It's a big economy. It's a big business. And it's been tested and tried in Yemen on civilians. And now it's a market. I want to go back with you uh, to where we started this interview. Very interesting. Um, about on, on March 8th this year, would you expect uh, a massive movement on International Women's Day uh, and, and a massive protest like the one we saw in 2011 or you think today is a very different scenario from what happened in 2011? Yemenis are too exhausted to do such a, uh, a celebration. Um, I, I, I doubt there will be something uh, big. And, and if there is any kind of movement, it's going to be uh, as uh, was this the scenario in 2011, uh, it will not be uh, independently led by Yemeni women. It's going to be uh, a mere decoration by the Houthis. Um, so, yeah, I, I really doubt there will be a big protest. Right. One one last thing I want to uh, touch with you is, uh, as as a Yemeni living in in in, in refuge in exile, um, when do you when do you hope to return to Yemen? Is that something you think about? Yeah, like today, before you know, yesterday, like or tomorrow, like just like now, I miss Yemen very very much, and uh, yeah, it's it's very painful. Uh, it's uh, Yemen is a beautiful beautiful country. Its people are so generous. Uh, because they're, you know, they they know poverty very well. They're the most generous uh, people. They they know what does it mean to not have, you know, food and not to have the clothes that you want, not to have the, the things that you want to have. Uh, so with that, they they want to always be generous to the other. Uh, so um, yeah, it's um, it's very tragic uh, what's going on. It's a, it's a tragic situation, of course. Um, Farah Nasser, um, I, I would I wanted to leave this interview on a positive note, but the 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 injustice that is done to Yemen it's so massive. I, I can't I can't think about a way to exit on a positive note. But having you on the show, I think, and having this very interesting conversation uh, is is a positive thing in itself. And um, I hope. We, we were able to, to give a better picture or wider... Inshallah. But, but if uh, I may, if uh, I can just deliver last message that Please I do. would like anyone who is listening to us or would be interested to reach their help uh, to Yemenis, I think it's, it's super, super important to... Um, to donate and uh, to show the solidarity with what whatever you 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 can donate with, uh, there are a lot of charity organizations uh, doing amazing work. You know, just go to the web and and Google and 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 you will find a long list. But at the same time, I think it's it's important not just to to have you know uh, that painkiller that we donated and and that's it. Right. Uh, um, it's very important for. Uh, uh, global citizens to be more informed of what their governments uh, are, uh, you know, being part of. And that means are they participating in conflict, whether by uh, the weapon they're giving or whether by the diplomatic support they're giving or, you know, um, uh, uh, yeah, just investigate and question uh, what your politicians um, are uh, have take 
towards the situation in Yemen. Uh, I think it's very important to mobilize politically as, uh, you know, um, uh, mobilizing the charity uh, work. Um, yeah. Well, and, and I want to, uh, since you, start, you spoke about this, uh, urging people to do something, I want you to uh, address a message to our um, Arab brothers and sisters who, who, Yemen, who Yemen to them seems in general and the mainstream society of the Arab world seems a bit marginal. It seems marginal at the moment. Do, do, we have, do you have something to say to our uh, Arab brothers and sisters in terms of Yemen, that Yemen is an Arab country in the end? You know, believe it or not, one of the the most, you know, heartwarming gestures that I had from Arab youth were from Syrian, a bunch of Syrian uh, activists nice. and, and journalists and civil society organizations who uh, uh, approached me a long time ago. And we were drafting together uh, like a, a joint statement from Syrians to Yemenis. And that was at least symbolically uh, very you know, a very noble gesture to show that despite all the pain and trauma that the Syrians are going through, they were the ones who took this initiative. So, um, and I lament uh, uh, the silence from uh, other Arab uh, youth who uh, are not showing the same enthusiasm to uh, to stand uh, next to the, to their uh, you know their sisters and brothers in Yemen. Totally, totally. And that's, that's a heartwarming um, a testimony coming from Syrians who are in a massive disaster themselves as well. Tayyib, um, excellent. Afrah Nasser, I'm so glad you were here on the show. Happy to Thank talk you. to you. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm very, um, I, I want to salute you and the status. Oh, wow, usually, nice. Thank you. Uh, when women are brought into shows, uh, they only focus uh, to, uh, you know, discuss gender issues and so on. I'm not saying that is not a priority at all, but uh, I think we, we tend to box women uh, commentators uh, in those issues. Uh, but women can also, like, uh, be part of the, the discussion when it comes to politics and security issues and that's what I just experienced and I'm very very thankful that's excellent that's like a, a powerful booster for us at status we thank you uh, for, for this uh, uh, encouraging statement uh, 